passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another episode of Thunderstruck, a look back at the legendary career, the legendary matches of the legendary Jushin Thunder Liger. My name is W.H. Park. I'm the co-host of Post ProRes, which you can hear every month along with myself and John Pollock. Uh, but this is not Post ProRes. This is Thunderstruck. And uh, on the line with me is not John Pollock. He's going to be on a future show. But on the line with me is the uh, the host of the British Wrestling Experience, which you can hear, of course, here at postwrestling.com. He's also the brigadier of British Wrestling Podcasting. He is Martin Bushby. Martin, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Uh, thanks for that great introduction, WH, and uh, great to be talking to you again. Um, I had a blast doing the uh, last one, the Tokyo Dome Series with you, and uh, really hyped that you uh, fetched me on to talk about Justin Liger, usually. One of my uh, top wrestlers back when I was a kid watching WCW tapes. So yeah, really excited to talk about uh, one of my favorite Liger matches. Well, let's let's start there then. Like, let's talk about your fandom involving Jushin Thunder Liger. Like, where did you first discover him, and like, how far have you followed his career throughout the the entire length of it? Um, I think it's like most people. I've sort of like you know fallen out of love with wrestling and fallen back in love with it. So sort of like. You know, I've watched some of the big periods of his career, sort of like the early to mid-90s, then not a great deal, sort of like late-90s, early 2000s, and then, you know, got back into him, um, you know, in the past sort of like five or six years. But I think, like a lot of people in the UK, uh, my first exposure to Liger was uh, through WCW tapes, obviously, the classic match with him and Pillman at Super Brawl 2, where... I don't think I've actually seen that match in full, though, because I remember the official VHS version that they rolled out had, a, had an edited version of the match. I, I seem to remember that was quite controversial at the time. And um, and similar to seeing great Mooter, I mean, I was mesmerized by his colorful attire and, and obviously the incredible high flying that I'd never seen before. And then, then subsequent to that, discovering tape trading through Rob Butcher and getting the first uh, J-Cups and his matches with Sasuke and Ultimo Dragon. And yeah, and I was a huge fan in sort of like the early 90s and early and mid 90s and and then obviously watching um, how his career's progressed and, and then into his retirement as we're as we're coming into it in next year yeah and uh, you are going to be in tokyo along with myself john way and a bunch of other people and you're, you're gonna witness his last match at the tokyo dome i believe are you not i am definitely i'm so looking forward to it. it's not long now it's just over uh just over a month till we head out there, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, just heading over to Japan for the first time, and then obviously this big, uh, this big uh, 
match with uh, with Liger having his retirement. Uh, I can't wait for it. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of hanging out together. You're coming to some of the other shows that uh, I'll be attending along with, you know, primarily John. Way's not going to every show that we're, that we're like we're going to. Uh, you're not no, really. To, yeah. You're not going to every show we're going to. Uh, it's kind of this mix, but John's kind of the constant <laughs> of like guess who's going <laughs> to be hanging out with me uh, throughout like the the shows that I want to go see, and so we'll talk about that off air. I don't. I don't really want to talk about like. I don't want people bothering us. Coming. Oh, we're we're wrestling <laughs> crew. I want to hang out with them and talk to them. You'll see us when you yeah, see we should us. All, we should all go to the shows in the t-shirts, the hats, everything. Okay. Yeah, that'd be we, a... <laughs> we need to tell, I need to tell Wade to bring me a snapback then. If, yeah. <laughs> if I don't have one of those. I have the t-shirts. I don't have a, any headwear from that. But uh, let's talk about today's match, today's opponent. It is one of his greatest rivals, in my opinion. Uh, so great that, Martin, this is the second podcast featuring a match with this man. And and there's one more coming up after this, this podcast featuring the same fan. So this man is represented in three different podcasts in this entire series. And and who are we talking about today? Who is Liger facing in today's match? In in my mind, one of the most underrated juniors of all time is uh, we're going to be talking about his 1996 match with uh, Shinjiro Otani and uh, and what a match it was and what a year it was for Otani. I mean, we'll we'll definitely be getting into that uh, later on in the show. Definitely. Like, Shinjiro Otani is arguably my favorite junior heavyweight of all time. There's a lot of junior heavyweights I've loved in, in Japan and other companies, but you know, every time I watch a Shinjiro Otani match from the, I don't know, the years between like 1995 to 1999 before he does his excursion and becomes a heavyweight when he returns back to New Japan and then eventually leaves uh, to join Zero One Pro Wrestling. Uh, he was an amazing, amazing wrestler. I would say for me in the top three or four at any given time in that time period and and just just a spectacular wrestler and just someone whose matches I always go back and watch and just like I'm amazed by and what match are we going to watch of his uh this 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 episode Martin it's the uh hyper battle 96 one uh Otani against Liger and I, I mean I know all the 1997 match that the two had gets all the buzz but I think this one is just as good I mean if you look at Otani's 96 I mean he had such an incredible run there I mean You've got this match, the Benoit match, Ultimo Dragon, El Samurai. I mean, he was only 24 years old and someone having, having some of the matches of his life. I mean, you know, some of his intensity and his youthful exuberance. I mean, in 96, a lot of us Western folk were rightly praising Liger for his matches, uh, you know, with Rey Mysterio and Eddie. But Otani was over the other side of the world having a, a banner year, which I don't think gets as much talk or praise as it, as it should do. I think a lot of that has to do with, like, you know his his output in the 2000s and, and a lot of it is good actually if you if you followed zero one like i did back back in the day um his output was really really strong he had, he formed an excellent tag team with masato tanaka called emblem in zero one they did a lot of touring of other companies and like notably you know zero one and i believe they even might have showed up in, shown showed up sorry in uh, in all japan maybe but it, it's a great team him and Tanaka, but yeah, not not as high profile as if he had stayed in New Japan. I feel, but we're gonna go back, like you said, Martin, to uh, March seventeenth, nineteen ninety six. It's for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. Uh, uh, Liger is the champion. It, it emanates from the Amagasaki Memorial Park Gymnasium. 
There's 5,500 people in attendance. And uh, yeah, let's let's start this match. So we start the video. Uh, we see uh, the aforementioned Chris Benoit, Wild Pegasus in Liger's corner. And Koji Katamoto is seconding uh, Shinjiro Otani. These two had formed a group with Tatsuhiro Takaiwa. Uh, they they just kind of represented the, the kind of classic New Japan aesthetic of black boots, black knee pads, uh, and, and black trunks. And they just... Seem to be feuding with Liger, El Samurai, Black Tiger, Wild Pegasus, and anyone else affiliated with Liger throughout most of the 90s. Yeah, I mean, he's straight out here, isn't he? No flashy entrances, bashes a fan out of the way on his way there, starts straight off on Liger's arm, and I just love the no-nonsense entrance. He's straight in here wanting to get... um, Went in to get this match underway, isn't he? Yes. Uh, so the ma- and this is actually the, the main event of the show. So I think that's really impressive to draw 5,500 people in Amagasaki uh, for, uh, with, you know, headlining with an IWGP junior heavyweight title match is, is just like, to me, amazing because like, it's not likely you would see that in, in, uh, in the New Japan of today. So we start the match with a handshake to start. Very, very rare that we get a handshake between Liger and Otani. And the first four minutes sees them kind of jockeying for position, more or less, until Liger gets an early advantage with a seated surfboard that he transi- transitions into a camel clutch. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a theme you see out throughout all their matches together, Otani and Liger, that you know he's going to isolate a body part, and so is Otani. And we'll see that definitely in this match, Martin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you mentioned the early going of this match here, and, and after this surfboard, I mean, there's an incredibly focused attack from Otani on, on Liger's arm. I mean, it almost looks like he's trying to rip it off at one point. Yeah, definitely. He's His strategy, it seems, very early on is to work over specifically the, the left arm of Liger. Um, Otani is super aggressive with his attack on that left arm. Uh, at some point, Liger regains the advantage by taking the left leg of Otani. So, uh, so he's doing leg locks, drop kicks, targeting that leg. So Liger's strategy is go for the legs because a lot of Otani's offenses, his uh, springboard uh, drop kicks, his uh, jumping spinning kicks uh, are, are, of course, you know, focused on him using his legs. So, you know, Liger is very, very smart. And like, he, th- I'm, I'm sure like the thing with, uh, you know, Otani attacking Liger's arm, it's like a lot, a lot of Liger's offenses are power moves, the brain buster, uh, the Liger bomb, the different shotes and things like that. And what I like about it as well is that Liger constantly sells the arm throughout the match, doesn't he? Every time, sort of like he does, sort of like any movie, sort of like uh, shaking his arm off and sort of like, you know, trying to sort of get the blood rushing back through it. And I thought that was a, a really nice touch from Liger all the way through the match. He is such a consummate master of wrestling psychology and selling. Uh, we will talk about specific instances of this of this happening uh, throughout this match, of course. Uh, Liger uh, ties Otani in the corner and hits him with a capo kick, one of his signature moves. Uh, he follows up with a delayed vertical brainbuster, another signature move from Liger. He's, he, it's very early on that he's going for all these like kind of signature moves. It, it, I, I think it's really showing his respect and for, for Otani and like he knows this guy is very dangerous and, and could easily take this IWGP junior heavyweight title off of him, Martin. Yeah, definitely. And also it's 
quite a lot of aggression from Liger in this. I mean, obviously, because uh, we've seen Otani working over his arm so much. And um, it's, you know, for me, you don't see um, Liger as aggressive as he, as, he, as he is in this match. Yeah, things start to escalate with the series of strikes between the two guys, uh, including a couple of jumping uh, back kicks that from Otani that send Liger down. Uh, Otani follows up with an armbar attempt. Liger escapes and attempts a Romero special. Uh, Otani gets out of that, but eats another capo kick in the corner. And it just, it just a uh, wonderful display of like the familiarity these two have had. And obviously like on New Japan tours, they they usually go on tour for like, you know, several weeks. And a lot of times they're, they're in multi-man tag matches, but in those multi-man tag matches, like a lot of the New Japan, you know, wrestlers get familiar with each other and they know what the signature moves are. They know how they are going to set them up. They know how to counter them. And then, Vice versa, like, you know, Otani would know how to counter all of Liger's counters at this point. Yeah, and I think that's what's missing in um, a lot of modern wrestling now. You know, two guys are sort of, like, thrown out there and expected to sort of, like, have instant chemistry on a big show, whereas, like, sort of in Japan and especially around this time period, you know, they, they are working all these house shows together. So when it comes to the uh, the big the big matches that they're going to have, that they're uh, more familiar with each other. Yeah, so Otani is uh, knocked off the apron to the floor, and Liger psychs him out with a tope fakeout. He he's, looks like he's going for tope, but he fakes him out. Uh, he goes for a plancha, but uh, Otani dodges that. Otani hits a beautiful springboard plancha on Liger, who's on the floor. And, you know, so I think one of the surprising things, if you've never seen a Shinjiro Otani match, if you've never seen this man wrestle, it's like, he doesn't look like it, but he is one of the best high flyers of this era. And, like, his flying is so graceful. Yeah, definitely. And what I love about when he does hit any of these high flying moves is um, his facial expressions. I mean, some people might think that he's sort of like his um, excitement about hitting these moves is quite OTT, but I love it. And it really gets you behind him as a, as the underdog in this match. Anyone who thinks that is a fool, Martin, anyone who thinks that is, <laughs> is, is hand waved by me, like, I don't like Otani selling. You are dead to me. If anyone ever said that, I will literally throw you under a bus. There you go. Wow. <laughs> that's, how, that's how strongly I feel about the greatness of Shinjiro Otani selling. Uh, Liger is thrown back into the ring, and Otani, Otani climbs onto the apron and waits for Lel, uh, for Liger to, uh, like, you know, like he's waiting for his prey, like a bird of prey. And as, as soon as Liger stands up, Otani hits a gigantic uh, signature springboard spinning wheel kick for a big two count. Beautiful, graceful, absolutely wonderful. And then, and like, and you know, there's beauty in his in his form, Martin, and and the way he hits it, but also the amazing facial expressions of like the the sheer joy he 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 expresses from being able to hit this move because he knows I I could beat him with this move. So, but he only gets a two, and then you know, Martin. Here's the other thing: the 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 sheer look of disappointment, the the utter emotion on this man's face of, of being fall, crestfallen at not getting the three count on him. He is so good at selling that emotion as well. And that's what's great for us as an audience because you're living those moments through sort of like um, all these facial expressions and that. And it's also around this point in the match where, I mean, the crowd's fairly quiet for the majority of the match and this is where they really come unglued and they're sort of like really chanting Otani's name as well as Liger's, aren't they? They are, and uh, it's, it's, it's a testament to both guys. Who, you know, Liger's obviously a beloved you know, figure in among the New Japan fans. And, and Otani is like 
up there as well. Even this this early stage of his career. And if if you notice, like he is very much still in his like young lion garb. He he is very bare bones at, in 1996. I don't think he even has his like his like early like kind of knee braces that he eventually tra- trans- transitions into like knee pads. He doesn't have any tape on his wrist. It's basically just boots and trunks that's all he's wearing right now and so he's still kind of a young lion but he's so good he's so amazing he's like a prodigy you know like in, in professional wrestling that that these, this crowd just like just gets so intimate and a lot of it has to do with his his facial expressions and the way he uses body movement to sell to draw people into his matches emotionally and it's that disappointment as well when he does kick out, um, you know, and Liger does kick out on two. And, and it's that disappointment in his face as well. He's like, you know, he's he's so excited to be hitting these moves. But then I think he realizes to sort of like towards the end that, you know, he, he should calm down a bit. And I think that's the that's the influence from him being an, a New Japan young boy that, you know, he needs to slow down a bit and maybe not get as, as hyped up about hitting these big moves. Yeah, so uh, continuing with the match, a release German suplex from Liger, followed by another capo kick, which has uh, Otani reeling. There's a diving body press from Liger onto a prone Otani, but only a two count. And this elicits a big gasp from the crowd. And they're well into this match by now, Martin. And, and well, yeah, definitely, because um, obviously there's that myth that, you know, Japanese fans just sit on their hands, but uh, certainly not when they've got two guys in the ring like this, because, um, I mean, that's the thing. You, you shouldn't be going all out um, as a crowd for the opening moments of the match. That's there to tease you. And then when he does build up, that's what makes the match so much more special when you're watching a Japanese match like this from the 90s, that the crowd won't be, you know, ooing and ahhing for everything. They only do it for the sort of like bigger moments towards the end. Uh, Liger hits a massive Liger bomb. I mean, he he just plants Otani to the ground for a big one, two. Oh, only a two count here. Uh, at this point, at, after this, there is a big Otani chant from the crowd. They're they're loving this man. They as much as they love Liger, they would be perfectly happy to see a title change tonight, Martin. And and Otani does such a great job of firing up, doesn't he? And you can see why the crowd are getting more and more behind him here. Uh, Liger goes for a second Liger bomb, but Otani rolls through with a Frankensteiner. Uh, Liger bounces off the ropes, and Otani hits a gorgeous spinning back kick. Uh, Otani takes Liger into the corner and props him up on a on the top where he hits a a super Frankensteiner, which you know again it's surprising how how much high risk uh, high flying offense uh, Otani does. And especially during this sort of like match as well, because there's so much um, sort of mat work in the early, early moments of the match and you save the sort of like more flashier moves for the end. But yeah, fantastic sort of like high flying from Otani, definitely. Otani follows up with a German suplex with a bridge for a one, two, uh, Liger kicks out. Uh, Otani crawls out to the apron. Liger grabs the ropes to help himself get back up and Otani hits an amazing spring jo- springboard dropkick to Liger's left arm uh, calling back to the limb work done earlier in the match. And I, and I can just see like our friend Jamesy watching that spot. He's like, brilliant. That's brilliant. I love it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, James is your man when it comes to sort of like limb work. He'd be all over this sort of like uh, thing at the end of the match. 
Uh, Liger immediately applies a cross... Uh, no, sorry. Otani immediately applies a cross-chest armbreaker onto Liger. Liger is able to get his feet on the ropes. Uh, Otani tries uh, an over-the-shoulder armbreaker, but Liger turns it into a sleeper hold, but Otani reaches the rope. Uh, Otani recovers and charges at Liger, but Liger hits a drop uh, toe hold and then puts on La Magistral Cradle. One, two, only a three. Beautiful sequence here. Fantastic sequence. Just the, the the fluidity and how smooth both these men are at like just you know move counter move escaping putting on another move escaping the the la la, la, la cradle attempt just absolutely gorgeous and it's a move that he is you know he's lost to Ultimate Dragon with this move so for him to bust it out is just like a, a nice callback for fans who've been following like you know Liger's other matches with other opponents. Yeah, definitely. I think there are, um, especially if you follow Otani's career in 96, there are a lot of callbacks to these earlier matches that um, that he had. Yeah, so the crowd pops for that two count. Uh, th- Martin, this match is great. Like, <laughs> Otani are great. Fucking wrestling is great. I-, I am loving being a wrestling fan watching this match. I know, and I'm loving your enthusiasm as you're talking about it as well, because um, like I noted at the start of the show, I don't think this match gets as much um, as much love as, as it, it certainly should do. You know, I, I'm, g- I'm going to confess, I, I think this might be the first time I've ever seen this match. Like, uh, some of the other matches with Otani and Liger, I've, I've seen, I, and it's like, oh, I remember this. This one, I can't remember if I've ever seen it before, because my memory is so bad recently, but like, I, I do think this might be the first time I'm seeing it. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm like watching this match and I'm just thinking, oh, thank, thank you, Martin, for picking this match. I'm so happy right now. Uh, Liger hits the uh, uh, Fisherman Buster for a huge two count. Uh, crowd is so hot for this match. And I'm, I'm right there with them. Like their enthusiasm is matching my own. And I'm like, I wish I was in the Amagasaki, you know, gymnasium with these people. They're, they're getting this awesome match. Uh, Liger puts Otani on the top turnbuckle. But uh, Otani knocks Liger off and then hits a missile dropkick to the back of Liger's head. Fuck, that looked like it hurt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he hits that pinpoint right on the sort of like back, right directly on the back of his spine, doesn't he? And yeah, I mean, that was a signature move of Otani's, wasn't it? And he sort of, it really hit it perfectly every time. And in my notes, I said Otani then does the best move in this entire match, Martin. His victory pose, because he thinks he's won this match, and he's like, yes! It's like, if you see it, it's like he's on his his knees, he's got his arms up in a V, and he's just like, he's so happy, and I'm just like, you are you are a great man, Shijiro Tani. I, I, I'm right there with you. Pin that fucking guy. Pin Liger right now. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because you're like, yes, yes, we want you to win, but, you know, fucking go and pin him already. Yeah. Uh, his body language is so fucking amazing. Like, the only person who, like, comes close is really Toshiaki Kawada of All Japan for Wrestling. Very a few other people can match, like, the, the selling, like, either of these men can do. But I would give the edge to Shinjiro Tani just because he's so so much more emotional in his reactions. It's so fucking great. Anyways, uh, he hit, uh, Otani hits the uh, dragon suplex with a bridge, but uh, can't hold it. Uh, no, he doesn't hold it. He he could he could beat him. He waves his fingers, saying, "Oh no, he's not done yet." And then he hits a second dragon suplex. But guess what, Martin? He's too close to the ropes, and Liger is able to get his feet on the ropes for a two-count, and, and Otani is about to fucking cry when he realized what happened. He he realizes he fucked up. He could have pinned him with the first dragon suplex, but you know, in his arrogance, in his nativity, in his stupidity even, he picked him up. He tried for a second, but he was too close, too close to the ropes, and Liger escaped. This is fucking brilliant. 
It is, and, and like you just know there, I mean, his facial expressions are absolutely fantastic because you can just see, you're like, well, you should have got him on that first one and you tried another one being a bit too cocky, you know, like youthful exuberance we were talking about earlier and, and just the, the look on his face, he looks like he's about to burst into tears or something when he realises that, you know, um, he's, he's messed up here. So a third Dragon suplex, suplex is attempted, it's blocked. Uh, a fourth is tried, but Liger escapes and hits the ropes. Otani ducks uh, the Shote that Liger attempts. But Liger rebounds and connects with another Shote for the one, two, three. Wow, he beats him with a Shote. But you know what? Like you would think maybe it's gonna be the Liger bomb or maybe a top rope bainbuster, but no, it's a Shote, which he's kind of saved throughout most of this match. And and it's and it's just I, I love it. I love when you have matches that just end unexpectedly, but then wow, that makes sense because it's one of his signature moves. I fucking love this match. And also, it's interesting that he hits um, he hits the move with his, his left arm that he was... Uh, obviously, the blood must have rushed back into there since he'd been selling it for the entire match. All that massaging, like, did its job. Like, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to quibble over that. I can I can find the internal logic of why the, the, the you know, the left arm that was damaged and worked over by Antani, like, you know, he, the adrenaline rush, like, just all the adrenaline just shot into that left arm because of the massaging he did throughout the match, Martin. So that, that's how we can uh, explain the, the effectiveness of the left arm shote. How do you feel, um, though, obviously we've discussed about Otani's 96 and what a fantastic year it was, certainly this match, and then, you know, obviously the, the rematch they had in 97. But he does, it, it seems to fall off after this, doesn't it? I mean, we've been sort of like waxing lyrically about how, how brilliant he was, but it, it seems to fall off in, in favor a lot um, in, the, in the years following the, this match. Oh, I, I think it has a lot to do with, like, the booking and and at the at the you know in the like from ninety eight ninety nine he he forms a tag team with uh, the aforementioned Tetsuhito Takaiwa and they form one of the greatest tag teams in my estimation in the history of professional wrestling and they're the they're the first IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions and they had a great reign with those titles. Um, I do think there was a point where I think they wanted to get Takaiwa, who was always one of like Ricky Choshu's boys. Like Otani wasn't so much like Takaiwa is like one of those guys that okay, he's he's handpicked because he wrestles very much like Ricky Choshu. He's very much inspired by Ricky Choshu, so I think putting Otani and Takaiwa together as a tag team was like a way to get Takaiwa over and to get Takaiwa a higher profile in the eyes of the fans, and, and it worked because he became an amazing wrestler and like he got the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title in like you know the the, the late nineties and the early two thousands before he also left. You know, New Japan for wrestling to go over to zero uh, one as well. I I don't think it's so much out of favor because I do think at some point they they wanted him to become a heavyweight, so they were going to transition the you know the spotlight from Otani uh, to Kanemoto and to people like Takaiwa, and then like maybe Minoru Tanaka had you know left Battle Arts. He came into New Japan around that time as well. So, you know, Otani's future was slated in in a, in like the heavyweight rank. So that's what happened, but. Never happened because he eventually, you know, left after his excursion. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a shame that he isn't sort of like more highly regarded. But certainly, go back and check this match out and and a lot of his matches from '96. It easily fits in there with the classic New Japan Junior matches of the '90s. So uh, certainly a banner year for him. And um, also Liger. I mean, obviously this is the Liger podcast. So, but he was. Um, Sort of like having some fantastic matches around this time period, wasn't he? Sort of like one of his one of his key sort of areas was sort of like the mid to late nineties, wasn't he? I I really think that from the point of his 
debut in the Tokyo Dome and to like 1999 before like the the booking got really wacky in the, the early 2000s that he is god my god I think he's he's one of the greatest wrestlers working at, at that time I just like just it also a lot a lot of it's helped by the amazing quality of opponents Wild Pegasus Chris Benoit Black Tiger Eddie Guerrero Dean Malenko like Fit Finley I, I who else can I talk about like El Samurai uh, Great Sasuke, Ultimo Dragon. Where do, where, I, where do I stop? Martin, Shinjiro Tani, Koji Katamoto, Tatsuhiro Takaiwa. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, Hayabusa to, you know, in a limited, in a limited fashion. Like, there is no one he didn't face. Brian Pillman, like, a lot of the stuff he did in, in, in America was, was good. I mean, it wasn't like heralded that much because it was buried in like the mid card of a fucking Nitro or something. But, mm. you know, I, I really think that if you have, good opponents and you're an amazing wrestler that your your cream will rise to the top you know like like look at the all japan like of the 1990s like masawa kobashi kawada Tawei. they all had like these amazing opponents like they had each other but they had all these other great opponents to work with look at bret hart like i i liken liger to being like the japanese version of bret hart in the 90s because like bret had just you know, was so amazing. And like, he had his like fucking dead weights, his anchors to carry in some of the matches, but he had like some great opponents as well. And like, to me, like the two, you know, the three best wrestlers in around that time for, as far as being technical wrestlers, uh, maybe I'm going to say four is like, is Brett, Liger, Masawa, and Otani. You know, the, it, it's like, without question, if you said anyone else, I'd be like, yeah, we'll see. But like, those are like my, my four guys where I'm like, these are the great, these are the best like pure technical wrestlers in the world working today and, and Liger's in that equation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you mentioned Bret Hart there and didn't Liger have, um, I know he came over to the UK in sort of 86, 87 as a 2G Yamada uh, for All-Star and World of Sport. Uh, you know, I think, I think he wrestled in the likes of Croydon and taking on Mark Rocco and people like Blondie Barrett and people like that. But didn't he also have an excursion over to a stampede in, in Canada as well? I think so. He did. No, not think so. He definitely did. He, he actually did some training. I don't know the extent of that training, but he, he, he trained with, you know, like the dungeon, the, and I'm talking about the original dungeon, the, the Stu Hart dungeon. I'm, I'm pretty sure he got stretched by Stu Hart at some point in his life, you know, during his time in, in Calgary. And that's like, you know, he's of that generation that where, you know, where Pillman is in that dojo. He's, he's a young boy in, in Stampede. Owen Hart is, is wrestling, you know, and I think they're having matches. And, you know, of course, also Benoit is there as well. And, and just the plethora of other amazing wrestlers that are coming through, you know, the Calgary promotion, Stampede Wrestling, you know, because the Hearts had that strong connection with New Japan Wrestling at the time. Yeah, I seem to remember Dynamite Kid said in his book about meeting um, this young wrestler who ended up turning up to be Liger, and he was like, you know, constantly running up to him and you know praising him for his matches and stuff like that and i think he did follow his career up until you know he, he started uh, becoming putting the costume on and becoming liger i mean he was he was lucky for liger coming over to the uk because he didn't have the uh he wasn't saddled with the uh stereotype gimmick like a lot of others were like uh i think i think uh sayama was sammy lee some kind of connection to bruce lee and then i think akira maeda was had an awful name, something like Quick Kick Lee. So some awful Asian stereotypes, I think, for the uh, for the Japanese guys coming over to the UK in the sort of like late eighties. But uh, thankfully, Liger managed to uh, avoid having having that stereotypical name. I think. 
Well, not that Calgary was much better. I think I think Shinya Hashimoto was like some like Mongolian like you know descendant of Genghis Khan or some shit like that. Oh, and then, like, Hiroshi Hase was under a hood, and he was like part of the Viet Cong Express tag team. Oh my god! Just some just some terribly uh, anachronistic bullshit happening in wrestling at the time. But it, you know what? It's not it's not isolated to either you know the UK or 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 Canada. It existed everywhere in wrestling, except for Mexico yeah. and and Japan, and Japan. Like you know, usually the 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 stereotypes are placed for the uh, for for the the white wrestlers there. So it's a tit for tat, I suppose you could say. And, and um, I mean, keeping it UK because obviously that's my uh, wheelhouse. But a bit of trivia there. I mean, I think it was also around this time period, uh, mid nineties, the uh, the. MPW British Commonwealth title was being defended on New Japan shows. I think it had been created in the UK around 1995. I know Doc Dean was the first champion, uh, but yeah, it mainly held on, I think Liger held it in 96, 97. I know Sasuke and Ultimo Dragon had it around the same time period. It eventually became part of the J crown. Obviously, it's synonymous now with Ultimo Dragon and all these belts. Uh, I think New Japan stopped using it in late '97, and I think the I think it was retired in Toyomon sort of around 2003. But yeah, I've no idea what MPW stood for. But yeah, that was one of the uh, this British title that was created in Britain as like a, a title, but was mainly defended in Japan on on these shows around this time period. We see that a lot, actually, like of like of things with British like in the title of the in the name of the of titles like a lot of the you know titles in stampede wrestling were the british commonwealth like heavyweight champion the british commonwealth middleweight champion things like that so like you know there's all this like history that like you know different wrestling companies like japan is very you know very much enamored with with history that's why the nwa was such a popular you know you know governing body in in all japan pro wrestling for as long as it was and and like why you know, like the NWA title was defended so often in Japan and it drew big houses because, you know, the, the companies respected the history of a company like the NWA, even the AWA, uh, to, and to some extent the WWWF. But, you know, I, I, you know, like there's this whole rich history of various titles coming into Japan that, you know, we, we don't know what they are and <laughs> I don't know what they are, you know, and <laughs> there you go. Like some great trivia there. MPW. I have no idea. I, when you first said that, I thought, is that Michinoku pro wrestling? Is that what it's supposed to be? Oh yeah. Like? I think it was, I think it was associated with them for quite a while as well. And I think, uh, I think the dirt bike kid, who was a wrestler over here who appeared for Michinoku pro and famously, had a match where Sasuke kicked his head off. I don't know. I think it was like he was being unprofessional or whatever behind the scenes. So Sasuke just booted his head off during the match, he, he which did. is quite an uncomfortable watch. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, Excalibur did to Jimmy Havoc uh, many years later. <laughs> something, something to a similar effect, maybe. But my 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 big takeaway is like you know from doing this match with you and and reviewing the. Uh, the, what, what match was it? Nin- the ninety-seven match, the February twenty, the February ninth, nineteen ninety-seven match. Uh, the show I did with uh, Daniel Makabe, like just just goes to show me. I really think like he he does like Shinjiro Otani appears on this series series three times, and it's not by accident. It's because I really feel that in Liger's long history of wrestling, that Shinjiro Otani is his greatest rival. 
He gets the best yeah, matches. Yeah, that's a good point. Them. And he he certainly wouldn't um, he certainly wouldn't appear in a, a lot of lists and stuff. But um, definitely watching sort of like the matches. And I'm not sure what the third matches that was selected. But yeah, I mean they they always went out there and had uh, great matches together. Well, it's uh, 96, 97, and. 98. So the the third match that'll come on later in the series will be uh, February 7th, 1998 with Shinjiro Otani and uh, look forward to that episode dropping soon with uh, Jojo Remy and myself. But I'm just like looking at this list like obviously you know one of the other people that gets mentioned more than once is, is Brian Pillman because like you said earlier in the show Martin like, like that's a lot of people's gateway to Liger is his series of matches with Brian Pillman. Yeah, definitely. Certainly that uh, Super Roll 2 one. Um, I still, like I said, noted at the start, I still don't know if I've seen the full unedited match of that. But at the time, I mean, it sort of holds up now today, but not as quite as well as some of the spectacular stuff we see sort of nowadays. But you've got to remember the time period it was in. But watching that as a kid, I was just absolutely, I was like, I couldn't believe this was a, you know, compared to all the WWF and Hulk Hogan stuff that you'd watched. And, and this that was just a real eye-opener for me. And, and certainly... I was more of a fan of Lager and Pillman just because of these costume and, you know, and sort of like his really flamboyant entrance and everything. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think they rematched in the, was it the first episode of Nitro? And obviously they couldn't uh, quite live up to the magic of the Super Bowl too much. And even, I think, I don't know if this is just a, a wild rumor, but when, um, when Red Pro had their um, dalliance with the TV show sort of last year, I think the first match they wanted to do on the TV show was having Liger take on uh, Brian Pillman Jr., but they, they couldn't make that work out. But I think that would have been a nice piece of nostalgia for uh, Red Pro on TV. That would have been cool. I mean, I know that Brian Pillman Jr. has met like Liger. He's, he's put up pictures of it, and Liger was very happy to meet the son of like one of his greatest opponents and one of his one of his friends as well so that was really nice for them it would have been kind of cool i don't know like i mean brian pillman jr is not a great wrestler right now he's very green uh, hopefully he'll he'll amount to something down the line but like i don't know if that would i, I like you know liger is great and he's great at like carrying people i don't know how much he would have carried this guy like it, it would have been basically like liger you know working over the kid for most of the match and then like giving him some hope spots and then just pitting him in, in the end at one two three but yeah it's 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 nice when people play upon his history and and we're gonna see that on the fourth and maybe we'll see a surprise opponent on the fifth for his last singles match and and let we're, we're gonna let's talk about that you're 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 like we said before you're you're coming to tokyo uh, to to watch Russell Kingdom and some some other shows, and and what what are you looking most forward to about Japan, Martin? Because it's your first time here, is it? Yeah, my first time coming over to Japan. Uh, wow, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of like looking forward to the complete culture shock of everything. So obviously, everything's quite different over there. Definitely the food, the wrestling, and just uh, getting out to hang out with you guys. And obviously, thanks so much to you, obviously for. Uh, sorting me out with tickets for events and, and things like that and certainly assisting along with my journey. But yeah, so I suppose mainly just uh, getting out there and, and seeing what everyone always raves about to me and uh, I, I can't wait. But yeah, certainly for the first few days, it's going to be wall-to-wall wrestling, I feel. Well, like I think our first big day out together will be the third. Um, we're going to see some wrestling together. In, in between, you know, the, the I think we're going to try to hit uh, the Totacon wrestling store uh, so get get your wallet ready if you want to sign up for memorabilia. And then after our the second show we go to, I, I'm thinking we can try to hit Ribera Steakhouse, Martin. How does that sound? 
That sounds fantastic. Obviously, I've seen all the pictures over the year, and I uh, yeah, can't wait. And all these sort of like little bars that I see that um, a lot of the British wrestlers go to. Yeah, I can't wait to hit them up. And then obviously all the there's a, a new New Japan wrestling shop as well now. Yes, yeah, uh, like they're one in Sudabashi. They they closed their old. I don't think they've closed their old one. I think that's still open to some degree. But they opened a, a much bigger location. Apparently, I haven't been there yet, but we'll we'll go there at some point uh, during the time that we're all in Japan together. And of course, obviously, the number one thing you're most excited to do is go to karaoke with me, right? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, I, I think, obviously, karaoke in the UK, it's a, a public thing where you go up and humiliate yourself in front of like an entire pub or bar full of people. But um, the karaoke you described to me, where you get your own private booth, and it's just you and your friends, sounds um, a lot more palatable to me, yeah, you only, especially with my awful singing. <laughs> we only embarrass ourselves in front of each other. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> the, and and we can we can drink alcohol in there. We can, you know, sometimes we can bring our own from the convenience store. We don't even have to pay for it uh, in the karaoke bar. But uh, there you go. Uh, thank Martin. Thank you so much for doing the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And and I'm I was like when I thought about doing this show, I thought, okay, I have to get Martin Bushby, the Brigadier, back on a podcast with me because I this is why because I enjoy thoroughly talking with you. And and what have you got coming up? Like, what do you have to plug for us? Oh, well, um, obviously, thanks again for inviting me on, WH. Obviously, a blast talking to you. But, um, yeah, obviously, British Wrestling Experience is uh, my show with Benno and Jamesy. That's on every other Friday on Post Wrestling. It's a fortnightly show. And, uh, obviously, we talk all the lights from the European wrestling scene that's... Uh, experiencing quite the uh, transition currently so yeah we talk uh, i mean there's some um, exciting shows coming up uh, towards the end of the year that uh, we'll be checking out i think uh, the third annual uh, british j cup which we're pro putting on has got um, a match between uh, which liger won actually the first one but he's not there this year and yeah we've got amazing red against pack so that should be uh, quite the match especially for uh, sort of like early to mid 2000s wrestling fans so that'll be something uh, we'll be checking out there and then yeah and whatever um, other events are coming up later on in the year i mean on the latest show uh, it was a bit of a negative one as we looked back at icw and things like that and uh, the not so great fear and loathing show but yeah so certainly check that out i mean British wrestling experience on any podcast platform or find it on the post wrestling website how about on uh, social media where can people find you martin um, at Bushby Zero One. Yes, I gotta say, as of this recording, I mean this this episode won't be released for uh, several several weeks. But you know, as of this recording, I you know I had just finished listening to the episode you were talking about, and I have to say, if if people are listening to this and you haven't listened to the British Wrestling Experience, that is actually a really good episode to check out. If if for nothing else, then 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 Benno's epic rant against ICW. <laughs> Oh, yeah. See, we certainly got no friends in Scotland anymore, I don't think, Benno. <laughs> it was great. You're, you and James are being very diplomatic, and then Benno's just like, it's shit. ICW is shit. It's always been shit. I was just like, yes! Love this version of Benno. Because <laughs> it reminds me of myself. If you get me on the right topic, then, you know, maybe the the long-requested... Not well, not long requested, but like it seems to be getting a lot of steam that, that Benno and I will do a podcast together talking... Only about one Kenneth Jerome Omega. We will see if that ever happens. Oh, yeah, I did see earlier as well. I think they've announced some kind of uh, evening with Kenny Omega coming up in London. So everyone was trying to uh, get Benno down to that. And I think he said that he couldn't imagine anything worse. Oh, God. I wouldn't pay. I wouldn't I wouldn't go if they paid me to go. Because I'd be just like, I don't want to listen to this guy talk. He's so annoying. 
I, I would be hard pressed not to heckle him. That's all I'm gonna say. Like, like, shut up! They're not trying to ban you from Japan. That's your own stupid fault. I mean, that would be me. You know. Yeah, that was it is interesting where they have gone with Kenny Omega. Obviously, everyone was expecting him to appear at those uh, Tokyo Dome shows in January, but it seems uh, that's all off the uh, all off the table now because obviously he's been banned from Japan apparently <laughs> for for by by New Japan for wrestling apparently. Anyways, we're getting really off topic here, but uh, <laughs> for all the listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us uh, to this point even. And uh, you can follow me at WH Park Nine. I I I you know I've been told it's a rather engaging and salty uh twitter handle <laughs> apparently like i get salty in in uh in my tweets sometimes usually it's about people i don't like but anyways if, if you like that kind of twitter follow me there uh, if you don't don't follow me you're not gonna enjoy anything i write because a lot of it is indeed quote-unquote salty and uh for all the listeners who've been uh, sending me great feedback about the previous episodes thank you so much we we have a lot more still to come we're, we're not done anytime soon after this episode so until the next episode then i will say to everyone goodbye <laughs>